So, those of you that don't know or haven't ever heard that, that guy's name is Alan Iverson. And unfortunately for Alan Iverson, that one and a half minutes has defined him. Uh, it has stuck with him. It was a 30-minute conversation, a 30-minute press conference. Um, getting a lot of feedback, Wes. Um, that, uh, God, Lord, the feedback's killing me. A 30-minute conversation where he was very, um, he, very praised. He praised his coach. He talked well of his coach. He talked well of a lot of things. But that one and a half minutes still gets played to this day, uh, and it's still very much linked to him. the The funny thing about that that clip and that and and it, that following him is it, it it has been he's become synonymous with not caring about practice because of that one and a half minute clip. But there's a lot that went into that. Uh, the things that you don't know about Allen Iverson that led into that was he had just finished a conversation with his coach in which his coach told him everything was fine. And then when he got in there, reporters were asking him questions about things that his coach hadn't discussed with him, so he was upset about that. He was upset that he wouldn't just talk to him about it face to face. His best friend had just been murdered, and the trial for his best friend's murder had just started that day. So his his emotions were on high, so to speak, um, and... You know, he's since talked well of his coach. He's since expressed his, this fact that he wishes that, that one and a half minutes wasn't tied to him in that way, like he didn't care about practice. And it wasn't even basketball practice. It was actually weightlifting is the, what the question was about, um, that he wasn't lifting weights hard enough to be a good basketball player. And uh, It's just a funny thing. But sometimes I think we feel, at least I do, I think you probably feel the same way, that when we start talking about politics – that clip comes to my mind because that's what I want. We're talking about politics? Really? We're talking about politics? Like, well, I was together with my family last week and I had to, I had to tap a family member on the leg. Like, no, nah, nah. let's not, let's, let's be happy tonight. Let's not go there. Let's not go there. Let's not mention politics. Come on. Let's not do that. Um, but, you know, that's how it is. If you, if you listen when you come into the church, if you just listen to the random conversations that take place, most of the times you'll hear one of three conversations when it's just friendly banter. It's either the weather, the Razorbacks, or politics. If you'll just listen, that's, that's what the subject matter is most of the time. That's the things we, that's the things we talk about. Uh, and unfortunately today, we're talking about politics. Um, but I think, I think it'll be beneficial for us, and I think we'll get something out of it. And just like that was taken out of context for Alan Iverson, and that really wasn't what the conversation was about, maybe, maybe we'll get some deeper meaning out of it today. We're going to start in Titus 3. You can see it's on the screen. We're going to start there in Titus 3. This is Paul's, one of Paul's what's called the pastoral letters. It's Paul talking to another pastor about how to be a pastor. And it's, that's why these sections and these, these letters get brought up a lot, because it's Paul being very explicit and very um, very down to earth about how to be a Christian, how to live the Christian life. And he's telling Titus, who is the pastor at the church in Crete, how to lead Christians to live the life that God wants them to live. That's what the letter is about, that and, and some encouragement and some personal instructions. So we're picking it up there in chapter 3 where Paul is talking directly to Titus about how to pastor the church properly. And in verse 3, he says, Remind them, them being us, Christians to come, 
Christians that were, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, and to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. Here in these first few verses, Paul contrasts a genuine follower of Jesus versus a genuine follower of self. He says a genuine follower of Jesus is ready for good works. He is prepared. He is ready. He's ready to execute good works for God's sake. And a genuine follower of self is a slave, which I don't think anybody wants to be, a slave to passions and pleasures. Someone that is following self, that is not following Jesus, that is what they are. They are a slave to their animalistic, natural human being, passions and pleasures and desires. And that's still the fight today. That's still the same thing that's happening today. In many different contexts, and in many different rabbits that we could chase that we're not going to, but it's still the same fight today. And we're continuing in verse 4. But when the kindness of our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, He poured out this Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Because of God's grace, we have hope. Because of God's grace, we have hope. Hope of things being right. Hope of a just and good heaven. Hope of a, of a sinless, perfectly good, eternal life together with each other and with God. We have a hope because of God. Not because of what we have done, because of what He has done. Because of His grace and because of what He has done on the cross. What He did for you and what He did for me. That, that is our hope. We have that hope. Not the hope of a pleasure being fulfilled or a desire being fulfilled or a passion being fulfilled. A hope of something that lasts. Not something that's fleeting. A genuine, real, true, everlasting hope. And then Paul goes on in verse 8. He said, This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. He says, insist on these things. On what things? On the things he just discussed in the previous seven verses that we just looked at. Insist on these, Titus. Titus, tell the church. Tell the people of the church, this is what matters. Insist on these things. Tell them to be devoted to these things. Our calling, what we're supposed to be sold out to, Titus, these things are what we should be sold out to. Our calling is to be devoted to these things. The things of God, that, the things that bring goodness, they bring healing, they bring hope to the world. Be devoted to these things. To be, be given over to these things is what devoted means. Be given over to these things. Be carefully devoted to good works. And he says, and you might say, well, why? Well, the end of that verse tells you why. Because it is good and profitable for everyone. 
Everyone. Everyone. Say that with me. Everyone. See, seeking self is good for, perceivably good, for self. Most of the time, it's actually harmful to self. And most of the time, it's definitely harmful to those around us when we choose sin and choose the things that are not good over the things of God. But Paul tells us that when we devote our given our devoted to given ourselves over to the things of God, that it is good and profitable for everyone. Good. The things that that are desired, the things that are approved of, profitable, beneficial, useful, being devoted to good works, like not slandering someone, is good and profitable for everyone. Then there's a second but. He has another but, right? Going into voice. Is Kennedy here? Don't laugh, Kennedy, when I say that. Verse 9. But avoid, but avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Paul gives a few things to avoid, a few things that we should definitely not be part of. A few things that we should be aware of that are not going to benefit or be profitable for anyone. He says, avoid the minor things. Avoid the things that when they're added up, as my dad would say, they won't make a hill of beans. Avoid those things. Avoid things that are just endless talking about nothing that comes to nothing even when you're done talking about it. These debates and genealogies and quarrels there were, some, there were false teachers in Crete that were, that were trying to prove that there was this secret way to follow this secret code in the, in the laws. If you would just find this secret code in the, in the laws and follow their secret ways, then you would actually find God and you'd actually find these things. And, and it was just an endless waste of time. If you could just follow this genealogy and this secret thing, and if you, were, if you were part of this tribe because you could tell about this genealogy and this thing, then you were something special. Paul says, stop wasting your time. Tell them, don't waste your time on those things. Those things aren't profitable. They're useless. He says, avoid divisive things. Quarrels. Disputes about the law. Avoid things that are inherently dividing. In other words, you can keep talking about them and keep talking about them, and you're never going to come to a beneficial conclusion. You're just going to keep talking about them. So it's going to divide. It's going to put you in this camp. Or this camp. It's going to divide people up. It's not what God wants. He says these things are unprofitable and worthless. They're not beneficial. They're not useful. They have no value. They have no contribution to the meaning of your life. To the purpose of your life. They are a waste of time. And then Paul gets kind of serious in verse 10. He says reject a divisive person after a first and second warning. Knowing that such a person is perverted and sins, being self-condemned. Paul says, reject a divisive person. Not something that we say very often in the church. Reject a divisive person. What What is divisive? Who is divisive? Who's a divisive person? Someone that does the things that are in verse 9. They constantly stir people up to worry about things that don't matter, or they constantly stir up about things that are inherently divisive. That's the entire point of the thing, is to be divisive. Those types of people, Paul says, you should reject them. The people that talk about foolish debates, and they quarrel, and they have their secret way that you follow this secret thing, or they, have this, they, they, they seem to be all-knowing and have this, this better way that if the church would just follow them, then the church would be much better off. 
Things like that. Paul says, warn them once, warn them twice, and then reject them. Because as Stuart made very, very clear last week, following the things of God unifies. The church is to be unified. The church is not to waste time on things that are divisive. And the church is not to waste time on people that are bent on being divisive, that are trying to divide. He says that these people are are twisted up in sin. They're perverted in sins. They're twisted up in their way of thinking. They're twisted up in their way of life. They're focusing on the wrong things. They're doing the wrong things. Doing good, doing things God's way, doing doing the things that God wants us to do brings unity. You can't force unity. You do things God's way, and then there is a natural unity that takes place. But sin and divisive talk and divisive actions, that separates God's people, and it is the opposite, excuse me, is the opposite of what God wants. It's not what He desires for His people. So things that are inherently divisive in their nature should be avoided by the church. If it's an inherently divisive thing, it's going to continue to be divisive. It's always been divisive. It will continue to be divisive. No matter how long you talk about it, no matter how many good points you make about it, this should be avoided by the church. Now, our second set of scriptures flip over to Psalm 146. Hopefully you did that at the beginning. Psalm 146 is the first of what's called the Hallelujah Psalms. It's the last five psalms of the book of Psalms, 146 through 150. It's called the Hallelujah Psalms because they end, they begin, and they end with Hallelujah. They say Hallelujah is how they start, and they say Hallelujah is how they end. So it's kind of kind of an interesting little block of praise psalms that Psalms ends up with. Pretty neat little, pretty neat little section, really and truly. Psalm 146 starts, Hallelujah. My soul, praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing to my God as long as I live. Do not trust in nobles, in man who cannot save. When his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground. On that day, his plans die. Happy is the one whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He remains faithful forever executing justice for the exploited and giving food to the hungry. The Lord frees prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects foreigners and helps the fatherless and the widow, and he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Zion, your God, reigns for all generations. Hallelujah. I love that word, hallelujah. If you break it down, it's like our English word would be like hallow. That's the beginning of that. Hallow, yah. Yah is in like a short nickname word for Yahweh. That's what the word is, hallelujah. Hallow, Yahweh, forced together into one word. Or praise the Lord, or praise God. There's another way that we say it. Your English translations may have taken hallelujah out and put that in. Praise the Lord means the same thing. Praise God, hallelujah. Love it. Now, <clears throat> now we talk about politics. <laughs> now let's look at politics through the lens of those scriptures that we just looked at. Let's look at politics through the lens of those scriptures that we just 
looked at. First question I would ask when it comes to politics is what is the purpose of government? What is the foundational purpose of government? What is it that, that a government is supposed to do? I think the foundational purpose of government is to promote good and to punish evil. I think God is clear in that when he institutes it as an institution for man. Another way you can say that is, is a, a government is supposed to administer justice. It's supposed to be just. It should promote what is good, punish what is evil. Honestly, if a government can't or won't do that, then it's worthless. Anything else that it can accomplish doesn't really matter if it's not going to promote good and punish evil. That goes all the way back to Genesis 9. If you go back to where God says, uh, when, it, when, man sheds, when man sheds an innocent man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. See the transfer there. See, God, justice is, is God-designed and God-defined, but he gives it to man, specifically the institution of man, like government, to administer. Now, God is just, and God is the ultimate judge of justice, but he has given us the job of administering justice, and especially the government. So, 1 Peter 2.13, you don't have to go there, it's right there, we'll just be here just for a second. It says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to the governors who are sent by him, him being the emperor, to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Just another example of Scripture promoting that same concept, that a government should promote good and punish evil. But then the question is, well, what is justice? First of all, side note off my notes, justice doesn't need an adjective. doesn't need anything else in front of it. Justice is justice. Inherently in its nature, what is good is good, and what is evil is evil. And administering those two things, promoting that and punishing this, that is justice. Anything else you put in front of it is just, I think, perverting what God has already defined as what is justice. But the question is, what is God's definition of justice? What does He say is just? We'll go back to the verses that we just looked at. Psalm 146, 7 through 9. Executing justice for the exploited and giving food to the hungry. The Lord frees prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects foreigners and helps the fatherless and the widow, and he frustrates the ways of the wicked. We talked about that on Tuesday, didn't we, Gabe? How the Lord frustrates the ways of the wicked, the enemies of those who are trying to do God's ways. So what is justice? Justice, in God's eyes, is protection and provision for the most vulnerable. He takes it all the way down to the most vulnerable, because if you're forgetting them, then you ain't really administering justice. If the most vulnerable aren't being administer justice, then God's not really impressed by anything else. Protection and provision for the most vulnerable. So A, point A, point number one on politics. When you're looking at a political candidate or a political party or anything else when it comes to you putting your vote into it, I think the primary thing that you should be looking at in administering that vote, in giving your voice, in giving your support, 
in, in checking off on saying, yes, I'm putting my name with that. I think the primary thing we should be looking for is a candidate or a party or a ballot initiative that is just, that is administering justice, that is doing as much as possible to promote what is good, to punish what is evil, to protect and to provide for the most vulnerable. You say, well, how do you do that? Well, there is the age-old question of politics, right? How do you properly do that? One side says you do it through this way, and the other side says you do it through that way. Hopefully, they both actually mean what they say and want to help those who can't help themselves, the most vulnerable, the oppressed, the, the fatherless, the widow. Is there, more, is there a better example of those who are vulnerable in this world than that? I don't think so. So vote for justice. And key for the church, assume that your brothers and sisters in Christ are doing the exact same thing, even if they vote for someone else. It is possible. It is possible for two human beings to look at a situation and say, I think this person or this party or this thing is going to promote the most justice possible through this way. And then for this person to say, I think that this party or this person or this ballot initiative or whatever it may be is going to promote the most justice, the most good, punish the most evil possible, protect those who are vulnerable through this way. And both be thinking they're doing the same thing. Now you say, how is that possible? Well, it is. <laughs> it is possible. Uh, we're not in here to debate political parties today. You know why? Because that's endless quarrels, never-ending talk about things that don't really matter in the long run. That's my opinion. Now, this is coming from somebody who actually enjoys, I'm weird, I actually enjoy following politics. I enjoy the, 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 the strategy of it. Uh, I enjoy the, the game of it. It's, it's entertaining to me in a certain strange, twisted way. But to sit around and debate the nuance and merits of every single little thing, to stand here and tell you who you should vote for, it's not coming from me. Your vote is between you and God. Hopefully you've prayed about it, and hopefully you're voting for justice. However you see it can best be put forward. Now, that's one thing. Second point I think is more important today, to be honest. So point B or point two. In this ridiculous, <laughs> crazy, hyper-polarized, politically saturated world that we are living in, where it is nothing but politics all the time, no matter what you pick up or look at or turn on or channel you go to or anything, you can't watch anything without it being political now in that crazy world in a world where computer algorithms figure out what you like and consistently put more of that in front of you every time you get in front of a screen in this hyper divided political world that we live in it is very very easy for you to think and to give over your heart to a political candidate or to a political party it's very easy for that to happen because it's 
on our mind all the time. It's in our ears all the time. It's talked about all the time. And you can, you can very easily give your heart to politics, to a political candidate, to a political party. It's easy to do that. But it's dangerous to do that. If you aren't careful, you will. But it's very dangerous to give your heart. Say, what is your heart? Your heart is your trust, your allegiance, your hope. If we're putting our trust and our allegiance and our hope in a political candidate, what are we doing? What are we doing? That's a very, very dangerous place to be. It's a place where the first century followers, they had to fight this too. Funny thing. Human beings have been dealing with the same things forever. Mark 12, 17. They're trying to trap Jesus into saying something against Rome so they can get him killed. He says, then Jesus told them, give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And to God, the things that are God's. And they were amazed at his answer. We read that now, and we've heard that so many times, we think that's such a simple answer. It was not a simple answer in their time. Still not a simple answer, really. It's just a familiar answer. So it seems simple. In other, wor- in other words, another way you could say that, and I'm not smart enough to, to say it this way, but I am smart enough to find somebody that is and then use it, is to say Caesar's image is stamped on the coin, but God's image is stamped on our hearts. We're made in the image of God. Our trust and our allegiance and our hope should only be given to God. Get, give the government their tax, Jesus is saying. Be submissive to the government. But give God your heart. Give God your trust. Give God your allegiance. Give God your hope. Don't hope in things that don't matter. Be submissive up to a point, right? Acts 5.29. But Peter, standing in front of people that could have killed him at any point in time. Peter, the guy that was such a chicken before Jesus was crucified and resurrected, that he denied Jesus three times, once to a little girl, which is my favorite part of that story. That's how scared he was. Aren't you one of them? No. Same guy, just a little bit later, who now realizes who Jesus is, who's now given his heart to Jesus, his trust and his allegiance and his hope. He says this to these people that could have killed him. But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. So we submit to the government. We should. Scripture is clear in that. Makes for hopefully a peaceful and tranquil life in which we can live out the ways of God. That's what the hope is. But if it were ever to come to the point where the government is telling us we have to do something that's contrary to what God says, contrary to praising God, contrary to the things of God, contrary to the goodness of God, then hopefully we have enough trust and faith and hope in God that we can stand there and say the same thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> i got to obey God rather than men. Why? Why is it dangerous to give your heart to a political candidate? Why is it dangerous to give your heart to anything other than God, but especially politics, something that is inherently divisive? That's the entire point of politics is to make you be in their camp and think the other camp is bad. That's the whole point. So you'll check beside their name 
and then so they can forget about you till the next election and forget about me till the election. That's the whole point of politics, inherently divisive. Why is it dangerous then to give more than just our vote or even support or even financial support? I'm not saying any of that's bad. That's fine. But to give our heart, why is it dangerous to give our heart to anything besides them? Well, let's go back to Psalm 146. Love this song. Keep coming back to it. It says, Do not trust in nobles, in man, who cannot save. When his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground. On that day, his plans die. Do not trust in nobles or princes, your, your translation may say. Or presidents, we would say now today. Or the entire insinuation of the, of the word is the influential and the powerful. Do not put your trust and those that seem like they can influence and positively impact your worldly lives, but only your worldly lives. That's what this is saying. Don't put your trust in them. Why? Because they, whoever they are, cannot save you. They cannot save me. They might can put a little extra coin in your pocket. They might can do something that's good. They'll probably do something that's bad. <laughs> But when it comes down to it, they cannot save you. And how do we know they can't save you? Because when the breath that's in our lungs from Him is taken, so is all their plans, so is all their power, so is all their influence, so is all the things they tell you they can do for you, so is all the promises they've made, all of it goes into the ground with them. Don't put your trust in man. When his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground. And on that day, so does all his power and his prestige and everything else. We can even take it a little bit further than that, though. Because we live in a, in a democracy. We, we, we get to vote on who is going to be in offices. So we don't even have to say till death, because that's the way it was for them. A king was pretty much a king till the king died. Right? So we can, we can take it even further than that. Not only is whoever we put our hope and trust in, if they are a man, part of mankind going to die, they're not even going to be in office their entire life. Think about it. Four years, they're gone. Eight years tops. Right? Unless we're foolish and keep voting in the same ones over and over for the ones that can do it for a long time. They're not even going to be in their entire life. Not only are they going to, are their plans and their power and their prestige and their influence and all those things, not only are they going to go away when they die, they're going to go away when they leave office. Right? Tuesday is officially election day. We're voting for a president. That president is only going to be in there for four years. At most, eight. We're going to put our hope and trust in that? I hope not. I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to lose a friend over that. I'm going to lose a friend over who over how they vote. I'm going I'm to break a relationship over how someone votes. I'm going to trash someone which we can go back to the first scriptures we look at that which another word for that is slander. I'm going to slander someone over a vote over their view of a human being that's not going to be able to save you, that's going to die just like you and me are going to die. 
The, the question is, whoever's in office, do we trust God or not? Do we trust Him or not? Proverbs 21.1 says, A king's heart is like streams of water in the Lord's hand. He directs them wherever He chooses. He's in control. God is in control. God is in control. Not you. Not me. Not a president. Not a prime minister. Or any of them other things. God. God is in control. Who is God? God. 146.5 Happy is the one whose help is the God of Jacob. Whose hope, whose hope is in the Lord his God. The maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He does not die and his plans die with him. He remains forever. Happy is the man, the woman, whose hope is in him who remains forever. Who is God? That is God, the maker of heaven and earth and governments and styles of governments. And you and me and whoever a political candidate is. He made all of it from nothing, from dirt, and then breathed life into it. That's who God is. That's who God is. Don't put your trust, don't put your allegiance, don't put your hope in a person. Give your heart to nobles. No. No. Give your heart to princes and presidents. No. Because they have perceived power and notoriety and they can help you a little bit? No. No. No one gets our hope, our trust, our allegiance, our heart. No one gets that except for God. They cannot save you. He cannot save you. He will not save you. Whoever He is probably doesn't even desire to save you. He just desires for you to vote for Him, whoever He is. Whoever is in the Oval Office. God's still in control. Come Wednesday morning, November 4th, whoever has been elected to be in the Oval Office, God is still in control. He still directs their heart like streams of water. He chooses where they go. He chooses where this country goes. He's in control. He's going to do it. God still executes justice. He still feeds the hungry. He still frees the prisoner. He still heals the spiritually blind. He, he still protects the orphan and He still protects the widow. He still protects those that are most vulnerable among us. And He expects you and He expects me and He expects everybody who proclaims that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior to be the conduit, to be the executor, to be the means in which He has those things take place. I'm going to say that one more time. He expects you and me and anybody else that says Jesus is my Lord and Savior to be the, the way that God executes those things through His followers, period, through His church, period, end of discussion, regardless of governments, regardless of anything else. He expects us to deliver justice to the world right now every day every day every day until he comes back and when he comes back he's going to deliver justice once and forever
for all. Right now, he expects us to do it. But he's coming back, and justice is going to be administered once and for all, for everyone. And on that day, on that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. They will shout to the Lord, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is King. Jesus Christ is ruler of all to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So come Wednesday morning, I, and I hope you, will get up, praise the God of heaven and earth, and move on about being whoever we're supposed to be, whoever God has called us to be, regardless of the joker that's going to be in the Oval Office. And I don't say that flippantly, and I don't say it disrespectfully. I say it tongue-in-cheek, because whoever it is, they're a temporary standstill for the actual administrator of justice who's coming back, as I can see it, very, very soon. And I pray that you know Jesus, so on the day that he comes back and administers justice, you're on the right side of his judgment. And the only way to be on God's right side of his judgment is to place your faith, give your heart, your hope, your allegiance, your trust to Jesus Christ, the person that paid the price for sin, the person that made it possible for you and me to be with God forever and ever and ever. He alone deserves our hearts. God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. Lord, I I thank you that in a world full of craziness, there's peace with you. I thank you that in a world full of ups and downs and good and evil, that you remain forever faithful that you will always be there, that you always have been there, that you are Yahweh, you are the I Am, the always was, the always is, and the always will be. God, I pray that we only put our heart, give our heart to you because you are the only one deserving of our heart. You are the only one that is the everlasting. God, I pray that those of us that have placed our faith in Christ would be the conduit in which you administer justice to the world. We will be the ones that protect and provide for the vulnerable. We will be the ones that promote what you say is good. Lord, and that we would not desire the things that you say are evil. That we would actively work to keep evil from progressing, Lord. Use us how you see fit, God. Give us boldness to live for you. Give us boldness to make the world around us more like you want it to be and more like it's eventually going to be one day forever. We call that heaven. We can't wait. But until then, may we we be found faithful, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.